Have you experienced the awe of God? The majesty of God, the power of God, the judgment of God, the wrath of God. What's going to happen when you see it, when you meet with the Lord, when you hear from Him? That's my friend Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth with something worth considering. Today, we'll talk about what happens when you really see who God is. Welcome to Revive Our Hearts Weekend. I'm Dana Gresh. What comes to mind when you hear the word awe? Maybe a beautiful sunrise or a sunset. Mountains, maybe? A walk in the forest, a waterfall, first snow of winter. Mm, For me, it's probably the magnificent ocean, especially when I'm in it, snorkeling. Most magnificent sight I ever saw was an enormous eagle ray gliding right past me. Mm. There are so many wonderful parts of creation that inspire awe in us, and that is good. They point us to the creator of it all. As Psalm 19, 1-2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Mm, Good truth. Familiar truth. Anyone who's willing to admit it can see that God is wonderful and powerful just by looking at the world He made. Creation is what we often think of when we talk about standing in awe of God, but there's more to it than that. Think of the men in the Bible who saw some of God's glory. I'm thinking of Moses, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and and others. They were terrified, in the right way, of course. They recognized God's unimaginable holiness and worthiness and their own sinfulness all at the same time. Have you ever experienced that? Now, we can't see God's glory with our eyes the way the prophets sometimes did, but guess what? We don't have to in order to be in awe of God because everything we need to know about Him is revealed in the Bible. And yet, so often we fall into a pattern of reading our Bibles for, I don't know, 10 minutes in the morning and then moving on with life. We don't pause to meditate on who God is and what He's done for us. Mary Cassian says, what we need is a revival of reverence. That word reverence is closely related to awe. Let's listen to Mary teaching on Titus 2.3. It reads, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior. Now I got to warn you, Mary's not going to mince words, but I think we need to hear this. You know, I think that Christians in this culture often have a callow attitude towards the Lord. We love Him, but we don't fear Him. We're entertained, but we don't stand in awe. We call Him friend, but we don't respect Him as Lord. Fear, awe, and respect are all synonyms for the virtue I want to discuss this session, reverence. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, Titus 2.3. Now, the dictionary defines reverence as a feeling or an attitude of deep respect. Older women are to be deeply respectful. Are you a deeply respectful woman? Do you go about your day with a profound awareness that every moment is a sacred moment and every task? the Lord has given you to do is a sacred duty. Oh, how we need 
a revival of reverence. There's a reason Paul cites reverence in conjunction with maturity. It's not that younger women don't need to be reverent, they do. It's just that reverence sometimes takes a while to develop. Reverence is a mark of maturity. And this is just as true in our spiritual development as it is in a child's social development. Have you ever noticed how much energy and effort and repetition it takes to teach a toddler to be respectful and not disrespectful? Those of you who have toddlers are going, oh yeah. My sons have uh, toddlers, one a two-year-old, one a three-year-old, and they're constantly coaching these, this two-year-old and three-year-old girls to be respectful. You must be respectful. Do not speak to me with a stepsister voice. Speak to me with a princess voice. <laughs> My son stepped in and sternly scooped up his daughter when she blatantly disrespected her mama at the dinner table. She didn't get any cake at the birthday party that day. A child who's grown up in a home where respect is modeled and consistently taught has a much better chance of becoming a well-mannered, productive adult than a child who is not. And the same principle rings true in the spiritual realm. A young woman who is in relationships where respect for the Lord is modeled and taught, has a much better chance of maturing into a reverent older woman who will, in turn, be equipped to pass that on to the next generation. I think back over the years to all the older, deeply respectful women who taught me what it means to live 24-7 in the presence of the holy I think of Diane, who mentored me through high school and part way into college. She taught me that my studies mattered to God, that the hours I spent with my papers and books were just as holy and important as the hours spent leading a campus Bible study. I think of Lorna, my professional colleague, who remembered God in each moment, and it was so evident in the kindness and respect and care with which she treated patients at the rehab hospital where we worked. The moment Lorna entered a room, that room became a sacred space. I think of my own mom, six kids, and then when I had three sons of my own, three energetic boys, one with special needs, And I was overwhelmed by the sleep-deprived grind of changing diapers and sopping up spills and stepping on Lego and breaking up fights and just trying to survive the day. She reminded me often that my vocation as a mother was a holy one. Some of these women have gone home to be with Jesus, as I will someday. I hope I've done them proud. And I hope I've done my part to pay it forward, woman to woman, generation to generation, life to life. This past summer, I did something I hadn't done for years. When I heard those skies begin to clap and rumble, I grabbed a blanket, 
boiled a cup of tea, and went outside on my front porch to sit under the overhang to enjoy the show. And it was spectacular. I watched in awe, overcome with the thought that the almighty God, creator of heaven and of earth, who thunders from the heavens and lights up the sky with his power, abides in me and is with me. It was a sacred moment, as is this moment, and is every other moment of our lives. May we be deeply respectful women who fear him, who tremble at his word, who bow in awe of him, and who revere him in everything that we say and everything that we do. Ladies, let's start a revival of reverence. Mm, That's Mary Cassian reminding you to examine your attitude toward God. Is it too casual? I've long had a burden for people to respect God. I know that sounds crazy, but sometimes we just approach Him much too casually. And I agree with my friend Mary, we need a revival of reverence. Nancy DeMoss-Walgamuth dived deeper into that topic in her series on Habakkuk. You might remember he was a prophet in the days before the Babylonian invasion of Jerusalem. Well, God tells Habakkuk some of what he's going to do in the coming days, acts of both judgment and mercy. Let's listen as Nancy describes Habakkuk's response. Well, God gives this awesome picture to Habakkuk, and Habakkuk remembers as he reflects and reviews what was God like, what did God do, how did he display his power, how did he display his majesty, how did God go out for the salvation of his people, and how has God crushed his enemies, and he's been in his prayer reflecting on all these things. And Habakkuk, who's been praying through these, he's been remembering these, Now in verse 16, he responds to all the awesome things he has seen and experienced and heard. And it's a response that you don't see a lot of today. He says in verse 16, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Now, what is causing Habakkuk to tremble? Well, I think it's several things. I think, first of all, it's the revelation of God's awesome power and glory. Like looking at the sun and its brilliance. It'll shake up your world. Seeing God will change your perspective on everything. He's so awesome, so holy, so great. I don't have words to tell you what God is like. But when you've been given a glimpse of him, when you've seen his power and his glory, you're going to tremble. So I think in Habakkuk, there's a sense of awe and fear and weakness. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm limp. He's shaking like a leaf at the power of God. I mean, we've seen people do that. You know, you, now you hear about hurricanes and earthquakes and tornadoes and people tremble. I'm going to tell you, they're nothing next to God. If we ever could see and know God for who he is, we would know what it is to tremble. 
He trembles at the wrath of God, at the terror of God, at the impending judgment and persecution that God is going to send on the earth. And God has told Habakkuk in his immediate situation, the Babylonians are coming. They're going to sweep through the earth. They're going to mow things down. They're going to conquer Judah. And sure enough, they did within about 15 years of this experience of Habakkuk with the Lord. He knows there's impending judgment. He knows there's impending devastation come. It makes him tremble. It would make you tremble if you could see what God is going to do in this world to judge the nations. It may be 15 years. It may be 15 minutes. You don't know. It may be 1,500 years. You don't know. But when you know it's going to happen and you reflect on it, it makes you tremble. I think he trembles because he knows everyone is going to suffer, including the righteous, including himself, the man of God. He knows there's suffering coming. And Habakkuk experiences physical and psychological effects in his body and in his emotions and in his mind from the revelation he has seen of God and of what is to come. Habakkuk's encounter with God is transforming. He trembles. Now that trembling, as we'll see before we finish this series, ultimately becomes praise. It becomes proclamation of the greatness and the deeds of God. But at this moment, it's as if Habakkuk can smell the singed flesh of those who are under God's judgment. And he knows that even the righteous are going to experience some of that wrath. I mean, if you're righteous and you live in an ungodly nation and God judges the nation, you're going to feel the heat. And he trembles. You know, as you go through the scripture, you see that people who met God, people who really saw God's purposes and plans, they trembled. It confounds me how we can be so flippant, so trite, so casual in the presence of a holy God today. I remember years ago, my pastor preached through the book of Habakkuk. Remember, he preached a powerful message on chapter 2, verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And as I meditated on that passage during that sermon, God was just weighing heavily on me with the truth of how powerful he is and how holy he is and how majestic he is. And by the end of that message, I could hardly breathe. When I just felt this righteous fear of the Lord, not, not an inappropriate dread, but an awesome fear of God's presence. And then, do you know how quickly we snapped out of that moment as soon as the final amen was said? The music starts playing, and we're talking about everything on the planet other than God. I mean, people talking and chatting. I'm not being critical. I'm just saying, we don't know God. We're not really seeing God. Now, I'm not saying that every time we come to church, it should be in hushed tones and nobody should, you know, talk about anything about the weather or the sports or whatever. But there's something when you are really in the presence of God that is awesome. It makes you tremble. And you see that in the scripture as people saw God. You see it in the book of Daniel as he was given a vision of the pre-incarnate Christ Theologians call that a Christophany. He actually saw Christ and he was left alone and saw this great vision. And he says, no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed. The original language there is my splendor was changed to ruin. There's something devastating about really seeing Christ as he is. And I retained no strength. 
He said, no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. There was this sense of being breathless, just having your breath taken away. No strength left in you. It's what Habakkuk experienced. It's what Daniel experienced. It's what Peter experienced when he saw the power of God when Christ did that miracle and there was the great catch of fish and he saw this as no ordinary man who just made this happen. He knew he was looking at majesty and divinity and the scripture says in Luke 5, when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Trembling in the presence of of a holy God, a powerful God. Habakkuk saw it. Daniel saw it. Peter saw it. The apostle John saw it in Revelation chapter one. We have that beautiful, powerful, amazing description of Christ, the glorified Christ in Revelation chapter one, whose feet and head and hair, they shine, they're glorious. And what happened when John saw that vision? Not running off the play, not running off the chatter with his friends about something inconsequential. He said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. majesty of God, the power of God, the judgment of God, the wrath of God. What's going to happen when you see it, when you meet with the Lord, when you hear from him, how can you just run off to your own routine, to your own day, to business as usual? You know, it's said that in the revivals of the past, one of the consistent marks was that people were overtaken with a sense of the awesome presence of God and with a sense of eternity. And it's as if they couldn't think or talk about anything else. It was said in some of those great revivals that you could walk down any street in these what had been previously very secular environments. And you'd find that people everywhere were talking about God and the condition of their soul. When's the last time you trembled at the presence of God? Does the knowledge of God and his ways ever make you just stop dead in your tracks? How often do I have my quiet time? I open the word, I read the Bible, I see what it has to say, and then quick, just close my Bible and I'm on to the next thing. On my computer, on my laptop, onto my meeting, onto a phone call. Did I just meet with God? Now, I don't want to say that we shouldn't have just regular, normal moments of living life, or that God never has fun, or that He never enjoys, or that we can never enjoy. That's a whole dimension to living the Christian life that is also very true. But why are we so missing this dimension of trembling at the presence of God? I think it's because we're not really seeing God for who he is. So as you get into God's word, as you go to church, as you're with the people of God, ask God to help you so see himself that you tremble at the reality of who he is. That's Nancy DeMoss-Walgamuth with some heart-searching questions. I hope this overview of how wonderful God is has inspired awe in your heart, like it has in mine. I want to turn now to something practical. I mean, you might be sitting there going, I want to revive the reverence in my heart, but how? Well, I'm glad you asked. I have two specific things that may help you stir up some reverence. To find it... Uh, Let's just go ahead and find Acts chapter 2. I've always loved this little section of scripture. It describes the sweet, intimate fellowship the early church experienced. 
It was so winsome that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I mean, just imagine being a part of that magnificent growth and friendship. Oh, I do imagine being part of that often. In my lifetime, I want a taste of it. Now, let me just read one characteristic of that early church. This is Acts 2.43. It reads, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Awe. Some versions say fear came upon every soul. Now, this isn't like an I'm afraid of dark alleys or spiders kind of fear. It's the idea of the souls of each individual bowing and submitting completely reverentially in word and deed and spirit to the presence of God, awe. And the original Greek language, while the word came, awe came upon every soul, it was a form of the word that carried the idea of an ongoing awe, not a passing moment, not a worship night or a great gathering, but every day there was awe and respect for God. Now, how'd they get there? Well, of course, only God can do that to a heart, but we can participate. Let's back up a verse and read Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. Do you see what I see there? Two ways to enter into the awe. Devote yourself to the teaching of the word and devote yourself to fellowship with believers at the table. My friend, I want you to do something. Go ahead, take your hand, reach behind yourself, pat yourself on the back because you right now are devoting yourself to the Word by listening to Mary and Nancy and me teach today. At a girl, you're on the right track. But I also want to ask if there's any room for conviction here. Did you gather with the body of Christ in a local congregation to feast on the Word of God this week? Have you had some one-on-one fellowship with believers, maybe in a small group or just one-on-one over coffee? If not, I want you to take inventory. What's keeping you from that? This is not a condemnation. It's an invitation. But I'm deeply convicted. As imperfect as the church may be, it's God's plan A for ushering us into His presence, and there is no plan B. When we enter into community together and feast on His Word, we begin to stand in awe of, what, the great food at the fellowship dinner? Nah. The fantastic preacher? No. For those early believers, it was about one thing and one thing only, one person, Jesus. They stood in awe of our Savior. You know, I'm thinking of a song. I haven't sung in quite a while. It was back in college for me. Maybe you remember it. These words are directed to Jesus.
brings back memories of sweet moments with Jesus. That was part of the song, I Stand in Awe, by Mark Altrogi. Is that true of you? Do you stand in awe of Jesus? If I'm honest, it's not true of me as often as I wish it were. I want to invite you to take some time today to meditate on what you've heard. Maybe listen to the rest of the song we just heard. Soak in scripture, marvel at what God has done, and don't forget to thank Him for it. Hey, speaking of getting into the Word, if you need a tangible reminder to do that, I think you'll enjoy getting the new scripture cards that our team has designed. They're based on Nancy's new book, Incomparable, 50 Days with Jesus. Now, each card has a verse about Jesus on one side and a quote from Nancy's book on the other. They'll remind you of who Jesus is so that your wonder can be renewed, and they'll encourage you to dig deeper into the context of the verses. When you give to Revive Our Hearts right now, we'll send you a copy of those scripture cards. To learn more or give, go to reviveourhearts.com or call us at 1-800-569-5959. And when you get in touch, tell us you want the incomparable scripture cards. And would you pray about donating on a regular basis? By giving at least $30 a month, you join our Revive Partner team. Revive Partners are what keep this ministry going. Without you, we couldn't produce programs, publish books, or develop our other resources. So when you commit to giving monthly, you're making it possible for us to reach women around the world with the hope of the gospel. When you sign up to become a Revive Partner, we'll send you a welcome packet. It contains Nancy's new incomparable book and the incomparable scripture cards, along with other great resources to help you in your own spiritual journey. Again, the website where you can sign up is reviveourhearts.com or call 1-800-569-5959. That's 1-800-569-5959. Jesus is the most humble man who ever lived. How can you and I imitate his example and live in humility? Join us next week to hear about that. But thanks for listening today. I'm Dana Gresh. We'll see you next time for Revive Our Hearts Weekend. This program is a listener-supported production of Revive Our Hearts in Niles, Michigan, calling women to freedom, fullness, and fruitfulness in Christ.